The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. And uh, we apologize for the for the mailbag that has gotten pushed. But I'm excited as we sit down to here on a Thursday afternoon um, to be able to dig into some of the good questions, some of the good feedback, some of the good hypotheticals that you all have been putting into the mailbag. Remember, great way to add your question to the mailbag is to go and give us a five-star review. And then in that review, include your question, and we will add it to the, the big old bag of mail that we reach into uh, frequently, uh, especially as we are sitting here in June, awaiting our win totals, which will be coming up a little bit later on, awaiting some more of our uh, in-depth season preview that'll be coming in July and August. So for now, it's, it's a great time to catch up. Gentlemen, it's great to catch up with you. How are we doing? Do you want to know the truth? Yes. Only if it's good. <laughs> we... <laughs> I'm I'm watching a La Liga soccer match on Periscope. That's how I'm doing. How are you guys doing? Well, that's that's probably good, right? That's you know you're watching sport. Yeah, I think so. Watching what are they? Yeah, you're watching sports. Um, I'm good. Sunny day here in Nashville. Uh, I've I'm still my, my with with a pregnant wife who is a bit of a hypochondriac. We are very much on still on the quarantine. And I have now gone, I think, four months without eating out or eating takeout of any kind. Mm. And I'm, I'm tired already. of it. I'm tired of it. <laughs> I'm already. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same. I haven't, let's see, this all, no, it's only been about three months. Because when did this all start, like, for real? March. March. Yeah, mid-March. Yeah, so it's been about three months for me okay. since I've had the order takeout or whatever. So... Maybe it's maybe it's three or three and a half for me. Maybe I'm exaggerating to get to four, but it sure feels like about a year. I so so am I this like reckless uh, ball yes. of filth mm-hmm. that has been frequenting the the takeout opportunities that I that I have around my neighborhood and city. Because I've been no. I've been we've we've done because what we did is we substituted it out for a date night. Like the the date was getting in our car. Uh, going to a curbside pickup opportunity, calling to let them know it's there, them running it out, taking it home. Like that was the activity of the date. And then the, the added benefit of not having to, uh, of not having to put in the, the real work on getting the food put together and also supporting local businesses for local businesses. That's right. No, I think that's, I think that that is, uh, that's not reckless. And, uh, you know, I, 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 that would be my approach. Like, but I'm not the boss in this house right now. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Nor am I the boss in mine. <laughs> well, you, you all are the boss of this podcast. Uh, are y'all ready to dig into uh, the, the big old bag of mail? Let's do it. Okay. This first question uh, comes from the tabler. And the tabler writes, 
It feels great to take many vacations throughout the week while driving to work. With today's current events, it's nice to be able to get lost in the world that we love, college football. Thank you for doing an amazing job. Excellent pod and keep it up. Thought this would be a fun activity for the mailbag. Here is the scenario. Each of you are the head coach of your own universities, the CPU, Barton A&M, and Tom Fernelli Tech. You are recruiting the top QB prospect in the class. When you walk into this young man's living room, what is your pitch? And what other strategies would you use to land this talent at your respective school? Well, I'll start off by saying, what, what, what should we name this quarterback? Ooh, uh, Skyler. Is he from Texas? Skyler something. Yeah, where are you recruiting him from? Skyler with a Z, a Y, and two A's. Skyler. <laughs> you know, you, you, clearly, you've got three options here, right? You've got CPU, which is nothing but a party school. Which oh, we're recruiting. Negative we're recruiting. recruiting. Each other. I can negatively recruit. Okay. We're going right. to party school CPU. Yeah. Uh, we got, we got, you know, A&M. We got... Barton A and M. You want to go? If you want to go play and live on a farm, you know you go right ahead. You can learn all about growing crops, or you can come into Fernelli Tech, where we not only win football games, we send people to space. All right, you know we've you know Elon Musk, he's he's a Fernelli Tech alum. He went here. He's he's a little crazy, but he's really rich and he's doing things, and that could be you. Uh, no, I I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on the kid. I think it depends on how Skyler feels about things because. <laughs> A, do I have playing time to sell? Right. And I mean, that, that that's all going to determine what your pitch is because your pitch can't be the same one for every single player. You, you got to know what the player is and what the player is looking for. Although I will say that I would try to be as honest as possible while trying to still land him. Like, you know, hey, there's... There's a pass to playing time. There's only three guys on the depth chart ahead. Yeah, you know, they're all pretty good. But yeah, you got a really good chance. You're going to get to come in and compete. All right, Barton, what's, what are you, what are you getting? Uh, Skyler. Uh, okay, no, what, I'm not what, recruiting Skyler. I'm okay. recruiting uh, Tom Fernelli and Chip Patterson. You two boys, <laughs> you two strapping young men are, are, I'd like both of you to come here. Same class for the quarterback job. Okay. Here's the deal. My, my whole mentality as a coach at Barton A&M is I want you to be successful. I'm here raising, developing young men. I want you two to be successful in life by coming to my program. And by you being successful, we're going to put together a successful program. So there's a couple things that I'm going to do for you guys. One any program that's telling you about how they're going to get you ready for the league, how they're going to get you in some sort of system that is going to prepare you for the NFL. I'm assuming your goal is the NFL. So I want to get you to the NFL as well. I wouldn't be recruiting you if you don't want to play NFL football, but I'm going to fashion an offense that plays to your skill sets. Tom, your skill sets a little different than chips, but whatever <laughs> who whichever one of you all is able to win the job, we're going to put you in a position to be successful. We're going to try to make you an All-American. We're going to try to put you in the Heisman candidacy, and we're going to dare NFL teams to pick you apart. We're going to make you successful on the field. We're also going to make you successful off the field. We're going to, we have an entire department devoted to branding, devoted to promoting you as a player, as a person, in the community so that you don't have to, so that you can just focus on being the best football player you can be. And I think in that you're going to have an op- opportunities to meet people. You're going to have opportunities for uh, financial gains outside of football with the new NCAA legislation. And you are going to have opportunities if football doesn't work out for you. And here's the other thing we are going to, because look, the, the, the reality is what it is. In college football today, a lot of guys as talented as you two are, are transferring if they don't want a job. Mm. And guess what? I don't have an offense that's going to uh, allow for both of you guys to be on the field at the same time. I hope you both stay four years. I hope you both graduate with, with a degree. I hope you both go to the NFL, and I hope you both gra- uh, play your final games at Barton A&M. 
But I understand that's not all that realistic. What I promise to you is that I will make you as good a player as I can make you. I will pour into you on and off the field. And if things don't work out and if you want to go somewhere else, I promise you I will help you find a great opportunity, even if it's against Barton State down the road. Uh, we are going to help you be successful at, at Barton A&M or wherever it is. Once you sign on that dotted line, you're in LI, you're going to be part of my family and I'm going to look after you. And, and that goes for on the field, off the field, in your personal life, your family. We're all one group. Come on and join boys. Let's do this thing. Well, you assume my goal is to play in the NFL. What if my goal is not to play in the NFL, but to own an NFL team? What's Barton A&M going to do to help me reach that goal? Well, I, I, Tom, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, at the, at the CPU, this, this isn't a four-year decision. You know, you guys know where I'm going with this, right? I want you to make a 40 year decision. Whoa. I want you to look (laughs) at the players that have come through CPU and not their NFL draft stock. I want you to see what they've done in the community. I want you to see a group of leaders that have taken the lessons that they learned here at CPU and they've taken it on and they put it instilled it into their families. They've instilled it into their communities. They have shown that being a part of the CPU family is something that you do 365 days a year for the rest of your life. And listen, I cannot promise playing time. I can promise access to competition. And I believe that given your skill set, you're going to have an opportunity to come and be on the field. But that is going to be up to you. And what happens during your time here with the program is so, so small compared to what you're going to do out there in the community. I see you as a senator. I see you as a CEO. I see you as a real leader of the future. And I think that starts at CPU. And that's what we get to offer you, not just this scholarship for four years, but a 40-year opportunity. Wow, these are these are some great pitches, and I, I appreciate both of them. I see that Barton A&M and CPU both have a lot of appeal to them, and they're grateful, great destinations. But uh, I think I'm going to go to Fernelli Tech because they offered me playing time, money, and they have cool uniforms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so if we're going down the, uh, I would if we're going down the NCAA violations route, and I'm just burning it up, then I think I'm doing it by offering jobs to family members. Like, I think I'm not going to go with the cold bag of cash. I think that I'm going to be doing the, uh, like the house that's reserved for an assistant coach, you know, that then that's an opportunity for your parents to be able to be closer. Uh, Oh, does, is there somebody else that needs a job? Well, we've, we've got this, these, uh, these summer internships. I think that I would try to go steer away from the cold cash only because I'd want to challenge myself. And I don't think, I think the, the classic traditional bag man just lacks creativity in today's cheating environment. Yeah. See, I can respect that. I think I'm leaning towards CPU now, Barton. (laughs) (laughs) Look, if you've got a family member, Tom, that, uh, is the head of a church somewhere, that that'd be that'd be Ideal. a real nice that'd be a real nice development. <laughs> I think we've got a donation to make <laughs> to a church. Uh, <laughs> all right, good listener, you get to decide uh, where you want to go, and if if you do have a uh, a family member who's the leader of a church, we can make it happen. Uh, all right, next mailbag question comes from Run Woody Run. Been listening to you and enjoying the pod for a few years. Thank you for all the hard work you put in, especially my fellow Chicago Italian Tom. Is this hey, Paisan. Uh, here's my question. If you could add any game or games to the 2020 season, uh, assuming the season is played as scheduled and this game would replace a cupcake game on each game schedule, what would it be? So I guess I, I approach this as if you could add any game to the 2020 schedule, and I, I definitely had non-conference in mind, and I believe that's where uh, this is going as well. Yeah. I mean, I I felt like the obvious choices you could do would be like to do like potential playoff games, but I felt, I, I mean, those I, we're probably going to see some of those in the playoffs, so it's like I don't know if I'd want to have them in the regular season and, you know, cost us a chance at them in the playoff. So I, I took this as an approach where, like, I look at, 
I looked at a lot of rivalries that are dead. And there was a lot of them I would like to see played this year. But the one that I thought could maybe be the most impactful is this is 2020 heading in to the season. There are two old rivals who don't play anymore, who are both heading into the year with expectations. Like, you know, they've had a couple down seasons as of late, but they've got things going their way where they're thinking 2020, this could be the year that they make a move. One of them is Texas. The other one is Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see Texas and Texas A&M playing this season, not just with the actual you know, rivalry and the history between the two, but in a year in which the team who loses might have their entire season destroyed. And so you add that to the mix of the rivalry already and the amount of hate between those two fan bases, and you put those kind of stakes in there, I could really go for some of that on like Thanksgiving, but I would take it in September if I had to, too. That's the correct. I mean, that, that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. is the correct answer to this question. I mean, there's like, it's so, I mean, it's those two schools hate each other so much with no outlet for releasing that hate. Um, I, that, that, and, and like you said, Tom, they're both good. They're both could be considered dark horse playoff teams this year. Um, I, I couldn't think of a whole lot of really like good. I mean, yeah, like whatever, like Clemson and Oklahoma or whatever, like, you know, there's all kinds of matchups you could put together of potential playoff type teams. You could do a Georgia, Oklahoma Rose bowl. Like you could go through a bunch right. of classic rematches, like, right. you know, the way that we got Texas and USC as a little home and home. And in that Texas USC sort of home and home, it was a chance to relive the national championship game. You could definitely go that route. Yeah. The only other one I thought of other than Texas, Texas A&M is I just thought like maybe, uh, maybe like a Clemson UCF, like, uh, mm. basically, a all right, group of five, here's, here you go. Like win this one and, and you can crow and talk and mm. act like you've been overlooked all you want, but here's your chance. Do it or yeah, don't. Cause, Cause like this year, UCF has two power five non-conference opponents on its schedule in North Carolina and Georgia tech. But if they win those games, those aren't the kind of wins where they're going to be able to hold those up and say, see, now you got to put us in the playoff. You know yeah. what I mean? Unless not, North like, Carolina you know, ends up having some like crazy year and like, you know, North Carolina ends up 10 and two or, or nine and three with one of those losses to UCF. Then maybe, maybe you have something to talk about, but on the surface, right. I agree. Another one that I thought of, which is not really at the top of the list, I think nationally, but it would be just for my own personal uh, Illinois Mizzou is a series that used to take place on an annual basis. And I think that now with Mizzou in the SEC and Lovey Smith and his staff taking a much greater, you know, they're not focusing much on recruiting in the Chicago and Chicagoland area, but they've done a lot of recruiting in the St. Louis area and they've been battling Mizzou on the recruiting trail. So there's already that natural rivalry between the schools because they play each other every year in basketball. They used to play each other every year in football and a lot of, you know, that whole St. Louis area is kind of divided between Illinois fans and Mizzou fans. So for them to play an annual game in football, to have that kind of non-conference rivalry, I think would be very fun just for myself. I really like, you, oh, go ahead. I mean, did you say Missouri, Illinois? Yeah. yeah. The border war in football, bring it back. That, that. That is not that is not on the top of my list. <laughs> no, it's not going to be on the top. Of, it's it's not going to be on the top of anybody's list who isn't involved with Illinois or Missouri in any form or fashion. The uh, the like there are there's one way to go about it. Um, I think where I, I would try to add some of the rotations that don't get played, uh, which it happens in the ACC and the SEC where they don't play a ninth conference game and they've got 14 teams in the conference and there is some wild disparities where like NC state and Duke, those separated by a 20, 30 minute drive might only play once every 12 years. Like that, that to me doesn't make any sense. There's the same uh, kind of rotation issues that happen in the sec. It just so happens that the one that came to mind for me in the sec, we actually are getting this year, which is Alabama and Georgia. Uh, 
we do have some suggestions here, and I really like this one from Run Woody Run. He said Clemson at Penn State in the whiteout, which I do think would be excellent in 2020 for what it could mean for Clemson for its college football playoff case, but also for Penn State, uh, Georgia against Oklahoma, Wisconsin against Florida, Ohio State against Alabama, LSU against USC, Texas, Texas A&M, the obvious one, but this is the one that jumped out to me and I, I like a lot because it is just this, like, let's get App State and Boise State to play. Let's, yeah. let's find these juggernaut uh, G5 programs and let's try to get let's try to get them playing almost every single year. Like that kind of that kind of game would do That'd a lot cool. to be able to to elevate that that status right there. So thank right. you. Thank you for your question. All right. Speaking of Penn State, let's see. We've we've got a lot of uh, Penn State listeners. A lot of Penn State listeners in the world. Oh, yeah. yeah, a lot, There's, a lot of them, a lot of Penn Staters out there. All right, they're they're usually in that stadium that has like a hundred thousand people. <laughs> Ethan asks, "Can you guys explain more about why Sean Clifford isn't good enough to win Penn State a national title?" Sure, there were times he looked rattled, mostly the games against Iowa, Minnesota, and Ohio State. However. He looked comfortable against Michigan and was dealing with injury the second half of the season due to Penn State liking to rush the QB. Oh, yeah, liking to rush the QB, as in QB runs. With a new OC who already mentioned he will likely run the QB less, is it realistic that Clifford could take a leap with a year under his belt and be good enough to lead Penn State to a national championship? I mean... Joe Burrow has has created a world in which anything is possible <laughs> for, for, <laughs> I mean, all, for all fan bases. Yeah, like Joe Burrow made the leap from average quarterback that was projected to be a six round pick at best to the best player in the best to the best college quarterback we've ever seen in, in one season. So, sure, it's possible. But I, I think. The, the, what's the, what's the guy's name? What's his, what's the screen name we're dealing with here? Ethan. Ethan. Okay, great. I got a real name to talk to Ethan here. Here's like the thing, like people always, um, whenever people are asking questions about rankings and some of the guy drops from like the, the, like the 12th best player in the country to the 25th best player in the country. And they're like, well, what's like, what's wrong with him? What did he do wrong? It's like, he like, not a lot is wrong with him. He's the 25th best player in the country. Like there, there's just, when we're, when we're talking about that status, you, there is no room for, for mistakes and, and the margins are thin. And so we're not like the idea that they could win every game with Sean Clifford compete for a big 10 championship with Sean Clifford. All that is, is well in play. I, I would rule out a national championship with Sean, Sean Clifford, unless he takes a big leap, which is, is possible. But the, the reason I would rule out a national championship with Sean Clifford is, is precedent is history. Um, question for you guys. And then I want to run down some history. Where would you right now project Sean Clifford's NFL draft future without a drafted first day, second day, third day. What, what would you, what would you project third day? Yeah. If, if he's drafted. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of my, my thought too. So, I did, I did a little bit of research on this. Okay. So there's been six college football playoffs in those six college football playoffs. There have been, there've been 19 starting quarterbacks that have graced the field or, or, you know, yeah. Bodies basically, um, of them, 10 of the 19 were first or second day picks, nine first rounders. There were five undrafted quarterbacks total, four third day picks. Okay, mm-hmm. and and even within that, and that's so that's like a like pretty crazy disparity even in that. But even within that, when you think about the the way the game has changed of late to being so quarterback focused, so critical to have the top quarterback because the top quarterback, in in part based on the transfer stuff, is usually finding his way 
onto the best teams in college football. So you can't really win the national championship with a bus driver anymore. And the last, the last time an undrafted quarterback won a game in the playoffs was 2015. Coker. Coker. Yeah. Um, and think about this. Like, so look at last year's playoff, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Joe Burrow, Jalen hurts are the quarterbacks three first and a second year before that Kyler Murray, Trevor, Tua, Ian book three firsts and whatever Ian book is probably I'd say like a third to fifth round type guy would be my guess on Ian book. And the, and he may be undrafted. His team got crushed year before that Kelly Bryant team got beat. Baker Mayfield first, Jake Rob from fifth hurt second year before that Jake Browning team got beat undrafted JT Barrett team got beat undrafted Deshaun Watson first hurts like the, the, the trend is, uh, is blatant. The last time that really like a, just an average quarterback had any success in the, in the possible playoffs was Jacob Coker. And that was in a, really in a lot of ways, a different era. Uh, where he was a, like Alabama at that point still was just sort of more talented than anyone else. Also Derek, so, Derek Henry's Heisman year when he carried the ball 40 times per game in November, cause Nick Saban didn't trust Alabama to do anything else. Yeah. Uh, right. So like, I just think we're, we're in a world right now where congratulations on your good season. If your quarterback is just okay, but if he ain't great, you ain't winning a national title. Well, the, the Coker is what always comes to mind as the example of, and, and, you know, we keep, we keep saying average or he ain't great. I think that we're also speaking about that relatively, right? In the same way that's like, right. you're a starting quarterback at Penn state. You are obviously good. You know, right. you, you don't just like get out of bed and just like stumble over your feet and are just incompetent. No, you're very good at the game of football and playing quarterback. But when we are comparing you to your peers in the college football playoff, you are uh, average or slightly above average. And the Coker example is funny because it's like good news. Yes. Uh, an undrafted quarterback or a, a late round quarterback can win a, a national championship. Good news. Bad news. You just have to have a 2200 yard rusher Heisman trophy winning running back five NFL offensive linemen and a defense that by this point, I would have guessed off the top of my head, like that was Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, like 10 of the 11, if not all of the 11 starters from that defense are, are in the NFL still. So congratulations. You can, you just have to have Alabama like talent everywhere else to be able to make it happen. Yeah. And well, like Barton said, at the very top. You can't rule out that Sean Clifford takes a step forward. That is very much a possibility, but like in the question, it said, you know, like, sure. He looked rattled in games against Iowa, Minnesota and Ohio state. So he looked rattled in three of your four toughest games. Right. I don't think that's a coincidence. Like, yeah, he played, he looked comfort. I think he phrased it as he looked comfortable against Michigan. So, I mean, Ohio state is clearly the best of those four games. Iowa and Minnesota are good big 10 teams, but they are not the kind of teams you're going to be facing in the college football playoff. Michigan's not the kind of team you're going to be facing in the college football playoff. You're facing Ohio state and you've got to beat two of them. So merely, you know, being rattled at times or comfortable when it gets to that level, he's not on it's, he's just not there yet. That's not to say that he can't take that step, but based on what we've seen and based on what we know, it is not realistic in my opinion, to think that Sean Clifford is a quarterback that can win a national title for Penn state. Not unless like you were talking about those Alabama teams, chip, the rest of Penn state is ridiculous. And right now there's enough concern elsewhere, like love Penn state's running back room. Um, obviously Fryermuth is one of the better tight ends in all of college football, that boy. Good. But I, I think that at wide receiver, you've got some players that need to step up like the defensively. I think Penn state is some of the best linebackers in the country. I think they've been really, really solid over the last couple of years, but I mean, it ain't, it ain't Alabama 2015 everywhere else on the field right now. Now, all that said, I do think Sean Clifford, even without a leap forward can win the big 10, you know, if yeah. they, if they get that head to head win against Ohio state in October in happy Valley, in that electric atmosphere, 
I could absolutely see that being the case. Journey Brown goes for like 134 yards, uh, dramatic win, and he gives them the edge in the Big Ten East. They get to the Big Ten Championship game. I think they could win that. But it is winning a national championship, as, as you mentioned, Barton. It is two wins against the other best teams in the country. I mean, even Trevor Lawrence looked human on that stage. You know, 25-0, and 0, and now he's 25-1 and 1 because you got, you got to bring everything from the quarterback position to win a national championship in 2020. I'll Which put it leads this us way to our too. next question. Is Trevor Lawrence trash? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it this way, too. If, if let's say Sean Clifford switched roles with Mac Jones, I, I think Penn State is not necessarily any more likely to win a national championship, and Alabama is not any less likely to win a national championship because Penn State is still in a position where They've got a roster that's good enough to compete on that stage if they have not a good quarterback, but a great quarterback. Whereas Alabama is still in a position like between those two teams. I think Alabama is still a, a, a tier above in terms of just overall talent, the way they've recruited. And so if they have a quarterback that's just good, I think Alabama has a chance to still win a national title. But I, but you know what? That's why we might see Bryce Young by the end of the year too, is, is they might find out that's not the case that, you know what, we may be talented, but I'm seeing what Trevor Lawrence and Clemson are doing over there. I'm seeing what Ohio state and Justin Fields are doing over there. We need more juice. Bryce young, like sink or swim brother. Coming up on the other side, more of your questions and our answers next. Robert half research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, we've got uh, this question comes from Nelson. Nelson asks, hey, love the show. I hope you all can answer this one. While looking at some of the wide receiver rooms for 2020, I've noticed that a couple of non-Blue Blood teams have unusually strong units, parentheses, Purdue, UNC, etc. Which wide receiver groups outside of the traditional playoff teams and blue bloods do y'all have the most confidence in and think could turn some close losses into wins rather than just put up good stats? Thanks. So is he a Purdue fan? No, I think he just probably just sort of just sort of caught a little bit of a interesting trend and wants to wants to hear. Well, look, that's sort of on on brand with cover three is like. The we're not under the radar teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not gonna just float on the surface. Well, the, the annoying thing is, like, he he takes the two of the better examples <laughs> in the question. <laughs> so I've I, I, I've got a few. Yeah. So first of all, does USC count as as non? Oh yeah, blood? I think so. At this point, I mean, okay. they are blue blood, but I think for this purpose. Yes. For the purposes of this question, it also needs to be explained because the wide receiver room at USC is stupid. Yeah. There's not cool. enough. There's not enough positions in the offense for all the good players that they have in that room. Yeah. So that's a, that's one reason to, for chip to fall in love with USC this year. Uh, Purdue as mentioned, uh, Rondell Moore, David bell. They've got a, a guy coming in named Malik Carr this year. Who's a freshman. That's like six, five two, thirty 30 or something. That's sort of a, probably should be a tight end, but wants to be a receiver athletic enough to be a receiver. He could be the next sort of freshman splash guy for them. Um, the, the, the school guys that he didn't mention or the schools he didn't mention, there was three that, that sort of caught my eye. Um, four, 
one, Texas Tech. I think a lot of people are, are sleeping on Texas Tech a little bit this year. I think that they could be pretty good. Mm. Um, now, the Big 12 sort of wide open, so whatever, but they, they could be pretty good. Eric is Izukanma, Izukanma, um, TJ Vasher, Keyshawn Carter, McLean Mannix. They got a true freshman named Loic Fwanji. I don't know. I, I think all those guys are back, but those guys are talented. And like a bunch of those guys had catches last year. A bunch of those guys are productive last year. They're playing with a bunch of injury uh, injuries, the quarterback last year that that could be, that could be a really good room. The other one is, it is a team that's I'm, I've been super on board with in all the, what's a sleeper team, like what bold predictions to make. Like I'm, I'm on the Indiana train right now. Uh, wop. Wop. Wop failure. He's back. Peyton Hendershot, I think, is back. Ty Freifogel is back. I, I believe all those guys are back. Um, so that's a really good group. And then Washington, I keep on – like, they weren't great last year. In fact, they had a lot of drop passes. But they've recruited well there. And I keep on waiting for Washington's receivers to take a step. I, you know, if, if there's a, a reason to be hopeful about Washington – given quarterback changes is that I do think that they've got some ability at receiver. So I'm, I'm going to throw them in there. And then the last one is just sort of interesting. They may not be that deep, but wake forest, um, yep. Sage Surratt comes back and Donovan green redshirted last year, but played the last four games, like did one of those deals where, you know, they, they saved the red shirt for the not beginning of the year, but for the end of the year. And he, the dude balled out, like was awesome. And so I think those two guys could be a pretty potent one, two punch awake. Uh, there's another big 10 school that came to mind too. Uh, Iowa. Yeah. Has yes. a couple of good guys and Amir Smith, Marset, and uh, where's the camera? Uh, Brandon Smith. That's, that's a, that's a pretty decent receiver core, which, you know, with a new quarterback, I think they're going to be pretty reliant on to help out with that offense. Uh, another one. I mean, you've mentioned a lot of them. We already mentioned Purdue and uh, UNC, I feel like just do we want to count Texas? Because they lost a couple big receivers, but they still got a couple dudes behind them. You know, Brendan Eagles is one of them that's I think is a pretty good receiving core. And then if you want to go like group of five, SMU Reggie Roberson was mm. very good, and they and they lose Trey Quinn, and and that's like their you know possession guy. But they've got Reggie Roberson and a couple other guys on that team. Which that's, I mean, it's part of it is the offense that they're in too, but those are some talented receivers that they have that have possible NFL futures down the line. So I think that might, that might be somewhere you would overlook as having really good receiver core, but I think it's solid. The, and Shane Bouchelle still there. Yeah. So like of the, of the ones when, when it's like the next step of, uh, you know, what does it end up meaning to have those good receivers? I, I think that that has made the Iowa quarterback position the Iowa quarterback battle one of the most interesting pieces of that just because the wide receivers are a strength and the quarterback position is a little bit of an unknown right now I think that when you look at uh, a North Carolina a Texas an SMU an Indiana like those are examples where you you are going to be able to potentially take over and, and be able to convert that into wins just because you do have some stability at the quarterback position are there any other ones there? I was trying to think about who the quarterbacks were as y'all were listing off all those. Uh, I think you could do with Louisville starting with Tutu yeah. Atwell yeah. and then Des Fitzpatrick. I think Oklahoma state, Tylen Wallace, Dylan Stoner, Braden Johnson. Those are all guys that are coming back. Like Jordan McRae was their one receiver that they left like the senior on last year's team. And he was the team's fourth leading receiver. Everybody else was juniors or sophomores. So, and in that offense with, you know, um, Oh, what's his name at quarterback? Spencer Sanders. There you go. Spencer Sanders coming back. It's funny. Like with Spencer Rattler and Spencer Sanders, both playing at Oklahoma, <laughs> it kind of throws my brain for a loop sometimes, but yeah. So I, I think that, I think we, I, well, I should actually let Barton talk about this because Barton has like an Oklahoma state logo tattooed on his chest right now. Oh, it's my, one of my favorite off season storylines. <laughs> These infatuations tend to happen. You know, sometimes it's an infatuation that someone's going to get 10 wins Someone's going to like be second in their division with, you know, like these like sort of niche infatuations. 
I'm excited that my, my Oklahoma State infatuation is, is sort of trending towards playoffs. The, uh, is it always in the Big 12? Like, is it, is it going to be a Big 12 or Pac-12 team that's going to – like, you were on the Washington uh, I train had, earlier. I had, a wa- I had a Washington infatuation when they made the playoffs. I picked them in the playoffs. Right. Uh, so I, I did have Iowa State. I'm trying to think who else I was infatuated with. Because um, the USC. <laughs> Did I have a USC two years ago? Yeah, that was two years ago, I think. Yeah, it wasn't last year because that's when I got burnt. Yeah, you're that's right. That's when you it became was, Utah. So, yeah, you're a big yeah, – I mean, Yeah, Utah <laughs> was last year. Yeah. That's the, those are the logical spots to go because it feels like in the SEC there's way too many teams for a dark horse to get through. The ACC is completely dominated by Clemson. The Big Ten is dominated by Ohio State, and then you've got Penn State right behind it. So, that, so it's like when you looked, where, where can somebody pop through, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 – seem to make the most sense. Yeah. I love it. I is the, cause you've been doubling down on the Oklahoma state love recently, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, you know, like it's, we, I, we did a, um, a top 25 for 24 seven sports and I had picked Oklahoma state fifth <laughs> in my top 25. <laughs> and so, you know, it's the, Hey, that happens. That's out there now. Now, <laughs> now I'm on the record. And so if I want to pull back any point between now and September, then I'm, I'm, then I'm, I'm inconsistent, you know, I don't stick to my guns. So now I just have to hunker down and ride this Oklahoma state storm. Yeah. The, uh, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but the, it, it it is wild. The experience of us having to forge these very certain opinions in (laughs) May and June, and then just continue to double down through August to by the point that you're in like September, you're just, you're like, honestly, I, I think Oklahoma state's going to win the next five national championships. It's the healthiest (laughs) program in the country. Uh, I I will say though, I am, I am actually like less nervous about this one than, than I typically am. I I feel, I actually feel like kind of confident in this. I I'm gaining steam in Oklahoma state. I'm not reluctantly, forging ahead. I'm actually kind of gaining steam. Uh, I'll let you borrow my hoodie. <laughs> uh, this I, I, I already got my Buffalo fanatics gear today. That was, woo! that was big. Ooh, there's a, there's something back at the house then for check, chip check mail. Yeah, uh, yours should be there too, chip. All right. This next question comes from happy Valley. 87 diehard college football fan with allegiance to Penn state absolutely the best college football podcast I listened to love the analysis and the insight had two friends who played at Yale shortly after Barton. I attended Yale Harvard about 10 years ago and toad's place is still one of the most electric atmospheres I've been to would love to hear Barton's review of the new Haven watering hole and a top memory. Keep up the good work. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. So, all right. Um, I'll give you two good memories from Toads. So Toads is the, that's like the place we went every Saturday night, no matter what, like there was no option. Like we just went to Toads. Toads is like a kind of a bar dance spot, but it's also this revered renowned, you know, music venue that's had a bunch of, you know, Bob Dylan from the sixties and like all these famous acts come through there through the years. So I'll give you two Toad stories. All right. First one is there, there was, and Toads, you walk in, there's a bar there, and there's a dance floor, then there's a bar in the back. And there were, like, the, the Yale crew would come in, they'd be in the front, and the first half of the dance floor was kind of Yale people. The second half of the dance floor were, like, the Townies, Quinnipiac, Southern Connecticut State, University of New Haven. They were, like, back of the dance floor and, like, back bar. And so, typically, it was pretty incident-free between the two groups, but you know, there's, there's a lot of meatheads on both sides of the room there. And so one, the couple weeks in a row, there was, some, there was like a few, there, there was like some fights between the Yale people and the, the local types. And, um, so like the next weekend was, there was like all this buildup for the next weekend. Like this was going to be the fight of all fights. <laughs> like, you know, Is this high school? <laughs> sharks, sharks versus jets or whatever. Yeah. Like this was going to be, Oh man, like this is going to be this huge rumble this weekend. Like, uh, like, so like the whole night, you know, there's the kind of 
I don't know if sizing each other up because it wasn't sizing up, but more about just like tension of like, all right, when's, when's this thing going to break? And so the, uh, toe, the, you know, bar closes 3am, whatever it is. And like, that's when the fights typically happen. And like, so we're outside and there's like, starts to be some, some, some chirping and, uh, the, you know, one crew starts to go at it with the other crew. And, and I, you know, I was, I was, you know, in, involved. And, <laughs> and so, but I, but I can't remember, like, I guess I was just in a happy mood that night. And I, I jumped in and challenged one of their guys to a dance off instead. Mm. And a techno acapella techno, uh, started <laughs> breaking out and we went back and forth with a dance off. And I, I finished him with miming a uh, power clean uh, to close it out. And it was like a little bit, he just didn't have anything else in his repertoire. Like he was just out of moves. And so I, I was carried out champion of the dance off, no fights, no injuries. I, I, the rest of the, the night I was on cloud nine because I felt like I saved, saved lives that night. And then here's my, my the second story is so like, and we used to bounce there for uh, concerts just for some extra money. And one night, uh, my favorite concert I bounced for was Slayer. You guys oh, familiar yes. with Slayer? Very yes. familiar, yes. <laughs> so Slayer, so there's that front bar, right? And they, they put a chain link fence up in the middle of the, the like floor to ceiling chain link fence in the middle of the bar, like to, to separate that first bar area to the dance floor because they wanted to allow under 21s in. So like teenagers could get in, but they couldn't get in the drinking side of the chain link fence. So first of all, Slayer is an insane show. Like, like not to uh, alienate any of our Satan worshiping listeners, but <laughs> Slayer is like the worst of the worst. Like in terms of just like the stuff they're saying on stage, the stuff they're doing on stage, like incredible what's going on up there. And so, and the, and the crowd is bananas, like nuts. Like, and the whole time you're stage front and all these, these Slayer fans are climbing, trying to jump on the stage. I don't know what they're trying to do up there. So we, we have free reign to just take these people and these like satanic, like face painted people and just beat the hell out of them to get them (laughs) off the stage. (laughs) Like we were, we were, we were going like ham on these kids, throwing them off the stage and then, but then <laughs> middle of the, the concert, the, the teenagers start going nuts and they start climbing this like chain link fence and trying to rip it down. And at one point, literally there's like the, like the, the bouncers, like the five of us were all football guys that just were, you know, doing it on the, like a side, we're not professionals. We're literally like holding this chain link fence with these rabid angsty teenagers trying to get over it to start like crushing the Slayer concert. And it, the fence eventually like just rips apart the teenagers flood in it's mayhem we all survive but like that was like the most intense awesome experience ever just like bouncing the slayer concert <laughs> i that's one of the. i me- think that was the i think it was the i think it was the god hates us all tour if i'm not mistaken the uh not rain and blood not rain and blood it was right it was it was right you know christ uh Christ Illusion came out in 2006. God Hates Us All came out in 2001. I feel like it was around 2001. The I uh, that's in, this is one of the best moments in Cover Three podcast history. A um, couple <laughs> couple follow ups. Number one, when you were doing the uh, peacekeeping, life saving dance off, and there was acapella techno. Was that everyone around just like? jumping in on like a sandstorm beat like type thing i think it was oh 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 and that's just over and over again and as as we went round after rounds and i'm and i'm more like in my my dance offs like i'm i'm more of like a distance runner than a sprinter like there's no like popping and locking and like you know moonwalking it's more like i've got more miming moves in my repertoire than you can come up with. And so like, let's see how long you can last. That's incredible. I have never been in a dance off. 
put, we, put put that on the bucket list, I guess. I've been in more than I can count. <laughs> There's <laughs> Martin, you old dancing fool. <laughs> um that's uh that's awesome. So the name of the podcast name of this episode of the podcast is The Time Barton was a bouncer at a Slayer concert. <laughs> uh awesome. You you get me telling these Yale stories, you know, and sometimes I just you, you hit the right hit the right note there. I was mm. I was I was excited about that one. Uh any other follow-ups, Tom? Uh I mean, was Slayer any good? I don't remember. I remember they're like they they literally like acted out like killing of baby Jesus on the stage or something. It was just insane. They're like drinking blood, fake blood maybe. I, I don't I wasn't listening to the music, but I genuinely, genuinely enjoyed like the the act of bouncing these Slayer fans throughout the, the night. It was it was fun. Next question comes from uh, Captain Calculus. This question is for Tom, who is the reason I still care about Illinois football. I started grad school in Champaign in the Nate Shieldhouse era as, quote, interesting, end quote, as Tim Beckman's teams were. I needed some help to get invested, and, and the work of Apollo Forza did the trick. Now, three years removed from living in town, I still watch and care about Illinois football in no small part thanks to Mr. Fernelli. Soon I'll be starting a postdoc at Northwestern. In the heart of enemy, enemy territory, I feel it is my duty to troll Northwestern football fans as rivalries are a fun part of college football. Uh, as a Cal grad, I know many specific ways that I control the Stanford fans if I ever meet them. Now that I'll be surrounded by Northwestern fans, what are some Illinois-specific ways that I control them? It's not easy to troll Northwestern fans because the first thing you have to do is find Northwestern (laughs) fans. And there aren't that many. I mean, there's a lot of kids who go to Northwestern, but not many of them really seem to care about the football or basketball teams. Although I will say the football team has become more popular in the recent decades since, you know, they didn't stink out loud. So I would say, uh, if you're around Northwestern fans, like if you get invited to like a, a party or something at their house and they're watching a Northwestern game, just sit on the couch and read a book. <laughs> Cause that's what they do when they do attend their own games. Just sit there and read. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This is nice. Wake mm-hmm. me up. Uh, just dis- disturb my reading when someone hits 13 points. <laughs> also, Make sure that you walk around campus letting everybody know that you're not actually in Chicago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like point and see, you see that skyline that you see way off in the distance? That's Chicago. <laughs> it takes you 30 minutes to get there from here. All right. You're not in it. Uh, was that a reference to the champagne room? Uh, what? Apollo Forza? Yeah. Yeah, that was the name I wrote under. Yeah. The uh, champagne room. That was my Illinois blog. Sick. Yeah, Tom's Tom's been doing it. Such a weathered, weathered Illinois man. This this isn't new. No. Yeah, Tom's Tom's been been in this blogging game. I love I love I love when the when the listeners and the readers like continue to come back and like find it's like oh yeah, this this guy's been reading Tom Fernelli talk about and listening to Tom Fernelli talk about Illinois football for more than a decade. Respect. And here's, the, here's the thing you need to know about that Illinois blog that I was running. I had the CBS job and I just was bored and wanted to start a separate blog. <laughs> so I got permission to do it. And it was, it was the SB nation site because they had lost their Illinois. The person who was running their Illinois site had left and they had an opening. So I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> So I was doing it for not very much money while I already had like a full-time college football writing gig. Just a passion for great, for great Illinois football. Yeah. Yeah. How, just, how, what kind of years do we have during the champagne room? Uh, not great. Um, we made a bowl game for, for, for football. They made the, uh, the, uh, end, what bowl was it? The one that's at the, the, uh, it was the heart of Dallas bowl Yep. where they lost to Louisiana tech basketball. 
they made the NCAA tournament once. It was, I mean, I only did it for a few years, but it was not the most exciting few years for Illinois sports. You was, were out of there before the Beckman uh, yes. abuse scandal, right? Yes. Yeah. That, I mean, that would not have been fun to be the primary voice on. No. But we had but to I'm do that at CBS Sports. Gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. One last one. This is from blue goggles for life as a diehard CFB fan. I can say that this is the best CFB podcast I've listened to by far. And it's not even close. These guys know more about the CFB landscape and aren't afraid to talk about everyone, including G five teams. Every show is fun and entertaining and they look at everything subjectively and aren't afraid to share their real opinions. Question. Can you ever see another G5 team doing what BYU did in 1984 by winning the national title? Or do you ever see a player from the group of five hoisting a Heisman trophy? Ty Detmer won it in 1990 and was the last player outside of the power five to win it. Uh, I mean, I think that if I'm going to do the thing I normally do, and assume that we're going to see an expanded playoff and assume that one of those spots of the eight is likely going to go to the highest rated group of five team, then yeah, mathematically we could one day see a group of five team win the national title. I think the odds will be against it happening still, but you no, know, anything could happen as for winning a Heisman. I think that's more likely, I agree. but yeah, I, I don't think the chances are great there either because I do think that with the playoff, being a contender has become a bigger role in winning a Heisman. And yeah, so I, I think BYU with that season, that's probably going to be the last time we see it. Although we did see a few years ago with UCF, it's in the realm of possibilities because it wasn't that crazy to think that UCF could have done it that year. Uh, well, I mean, BYU's status as an independent kind of helps them because they can just sort of schedule whoever they want. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, and that's they why put, they have the second hardest projected schedule. According to me. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah, so we talked go. about it last episode. Yeah. yeah. I forgot that they were, they were number two. So if they, so if, if BYU were to go undefeated with BYU schedule, but that's not, but that's the most second, most difficult by your metrics, Tom, though, like that doesn't mean like that is different than saying maybe like they have the, the most opportunity the resume. for resume builders, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's, are- it's because what, what really help, holds it up is that there aren't any like real bottom feeders on it, but I mean, right. they play Utah, they play Michigan state, Arizona state, Minnesota, Mizzou, Boise State, San Diego State, and Stanford, which are all either very good yeah. group of five programs or respectable power five programs, but none of them are resume wins. So, but if they go undefeated with that schedule, you got you got to be in the playoffs. Oh, I'll be arguing for them if they go undefeated yeah. with that schedule. Yeah, like you have to be. They would have to be. So, like that's that they have an opportunity no other group of five has because they they can play a schedule like that that has more validity to it then whatever UCF's going to trot out there, even if they do go and beat North Carolina and whoever else they're playing. I think that BYU absolutely can be uh, in a position that Notre Dame is in, uh, which is that same one of being like, yeah, if you win all your games, you're going to be able to get in. I do wonder for the the Heisman Trophy part of this, like it, it's weird. I think that group of five Heisman trophy winner feels like it could happen because much love to Louisville, but like y'all, y'all were in conference USA, not that long ago. Like it, where, what conference you're in doesn't necessarily change the fact that when Lamar Jackson won a Heisman trophy, he did it because Lamar Jackson was incredible. It wasn't because Louisville was a national championship contender. And it wasn't because Louisville is a traditional power it was on the back of Lamar Jackson. There is a Lamar Jackson-like path to for a BYU player, for a group of five player, to potentially be in the mix for the Heisman Trophy. I know like that Holt Nailers. I, I know that our uh, our old uh, CBS colleague Tom Chris Houston would tell us that it doesn't fit the Heismandments, right? Uh-huh. The ten, yes. the Ten Commandments of the Heisman Trophy contention. But I do think that that is the path for a BYU or a group of five 
player to win a Heisman Trophy, but I do think that BYU, unlike a group of five team, has the best chance to be able to compete for a national championship. In fact, better than your average group of five. Not quite Notre Dame because, let's be honest, the the built-in rivalries that Notre Dame has combined with the five-game ACC scheduling agreement is going to create more big spotlight opportunities. And where that Notre Dame program is right now is trying to contend for the college football playoff. They've already been there once, and they are uh, going to show up right now in the Brian Kelly era every year knowing that if they get all the breaks, then they're going to be in the mix for the playoff. So BYU's not there yet, but it's like uh, a group of five player could win a Heisman Trophy but I think that BYU has an advantage over the average group of five team for making the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, if you want to jump in on the next mailbag, remember you do it by leaving a five-star review, then add your question right after that. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. Our thanks to all the listeners who submitted those questions. If you didn't hear your question, it has not been lost. Uh, it, it will just be tackled in a future edition of the mailbag. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Sure. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Way, rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.